tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 59th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we are bringing you Haunted Plymouth. And today's episode is going to be a little different than our typical episode because we are on the road again. Literally, we are driving down through Cape Cod today. But we wanted to bring you a little bit about Haunted Plymouth, where we spent yesterday. And Diane, I've heard that they will nail us as foreigners if we call it Cape Cod, so we're going to the Cape. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. In our car. (laughs) There's my Boston accent. So we're not going to have a moment in oddity on today's show or this day in history, since we are doing the road thing and it's a little bit more complicated. And we are sharing a microphone, so that'll be a little unique. And I'm driving, so just like our last road trip when Diane put a script in front of my face, I'm like, uh, uh, I can't really read at this moment. So I'll be sharing a lot of our history, and then we'll both be sharing our haunted tour that we did last night. But before we talk about that, want to make sure you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the show. Sign up for our newsletter. Donate to the show. You can shop at our Emporium. All that great stuff. And, Denise, if anybody wants to send us any feedback or get a hold of us, where can they do that? They're going to do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. So before we got to Plymouth, we went to Boston. And we did the Ghost and Gravestones tour in Boston. And, Denise, what did you think about that one? It was fun, but more on the theatrical side, which isn't my cup of tea. I have to agree. If you're going to Boston and that's the only ghost tour, it's good. I'd give it a three out of five stars. You're going to get to go to some locations you're going to get to go through two graveyards so that was very cool but you're not really going to get any ghost exactly and not a whole ton of history either it was a lot of stories that i'm not sure how many of them were even true when it came to the ghosts we were probably three quarters of the way through the tour and denise leans over and whispers in my ear i don't think this guy's mentioned ghosts at all yet has he and i went you know what i think you're right even when we went to the last location of one of the Boston Strangler's supposed victims, because if you know the story about the Boston Strangler, you know that they might have gotten the wrong guy on that one, that it could have just been copycat killers, or it could have been multiple killers. You think if you go to the last site of a victim that you might hear, and it's haunted, nothing. (laughs) It wasn't until the last five minutes probably of the tour, we went past the Omni Hotel and they said, that's one of the most, what, what did they call it, Denise? One of the most haunted hotels in the world, right? Or at least in the United States. In Chicago. Oh, in Chicago. In Boston. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they said they said it was the most haunted hotel in Boston. Of course. And I, I believe it's just one room, 303 or something of that nature. And there's a guy who had died in there. And so he likes to bang around and that kind of thing. But that was literally it. The really cool thing, though, about the tour is that we had our first meetup. Indeed. We had four other people join us, so that was so cool. We hope this happens more often. We're keeping our fingers crossed. We might have somebody who's joining us on the tour that we're going to be doing this evening, which you guys will be getting this show later. So 
this will already be a past event. But we might have somebody meeting us for the Barnstable Ghost Tour that we're going to be doing this evening. So that would be very cool. We always invite you guys, if you want to come with us, please do so. It was kind of funny because this uh, young lady had called me on the phone and she was like, is this what I call for the ghost tour? And I was thinking, how did we end up on somebody's website for them to call about a ghost tour or something? There's my social girl. So let's say social media, very, very good at social, like somebody's actually talking to her, she freezes. (laughs) <laughs> well, and unfortunately, we were in the middle of a cemetery walking around, so I wasn't really expecting to answer my phone. And I'm like, well, it's a Massachusetts number. That was kind of appropriate that we were in the middle of a cemetery when we get a call about ghosts. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> yes, indeed. So then I realized that she was talking about wanting to join us for the Barnstable Ghost Tour. And I hadn't changed the event date on our website because we had decided before we got down here to do it on a Tuesday rather than a Monday night because we didn't realize that the Monday night was a ghost hunt and you guys know we're not really into the ghost hunt thing so we uh, had to correct all that so I will have to remember in the future that if we change things to make sure that I change it on the website because I kind of screwed that up a little bit. Let's talk about Plymouth. There's a lot of you probably who are listening who know a little bit about the history of Plymouth just because One of the major holidays here in America is Thanksgiving. But we learned a few things that maybe you didn't know. Denise, what was one of the main things that we learned about pilgrims that actually was kind of surprising to me since this is the way they've always been depicted? That they don't wear buckles on their hats or their shoes, that that is a a non-happening for pilgrims. Exactly. And Denise, after taking, we did a walking tour in the morning, and then we got a little bit of history too when it came to the ghost tour that we did. Would, what would you say your respect for the pilgrims was like? Oh, it, it grew tenfold because a lot of the things that people say we found out weren't true and that people, that they mix the pilgrims with the Puritans. And so a lot of the things about the Puritans have been given to the pilgrims that are not part of the pilgrim heritage. Exactly. And when you think about what these people went through to make the decision to go across the ocean You don't know what's on the other side. You've got to build a settlement. You've got to grow your own food. You have these people that you've heard probably a little bit about because the French have been over here. There's been explorers over here. So you've heard about these Native Americans. You're not really sure what you're going to get into because, as we all know, as it is with every race, you've got some of them that are a little bit violent, others that are peaceful. It's just the way that humans are. And Denise, we just passed a sign that said, Welcome to Cape Cod. Yay, we're at the Cape. First time here, so that's very cool. The history of the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts is unique in that most Americans are familiar with the start of this settlement. And that's why it's known as America's hometown. After all, we have a national holiday inspired by events that took place in Plymouth, Thanksgiving. There are some misconceptions about the history of the pilgrims in Plymouth, and many people may not think about the history that has continued on into the afterlife. In this episode, we will bring you the history and the hauntings of Plymouth. The Wampanoag tribe resided in the area that would later become Plymouth Colony. The area had been visited by Europeans from both England and France. These visits ended up bringing a plague that nearly wiped out the Wampanoag. The area was a perfect place for a new colony to begin. And Denise, this tribe has something that's named after them, There is a certain kind of shell that you can find here on the shores of the Cape, and it's called Wampa. What do you think about that, Denise? Oh my gosh, it is so pretty. When you look at the outside, it's just kind of a white, rough, not very attractive shell. 
but the whole s- inside is like a mother of pearl, purple, beautiful collar. So what are you wearing today? Our lovely host bought me some Wampanoag shell earrings that are in the shape of a whale's tail, which are they're beautiful. Yeah, you've always got to make sure that you keep the ladies in their jewelry. A group of people seeking freedom from tyranny, freedom from the mixture of church and state, and freedom from state-imposed religion decided to start meeting in secret in Great Britain. They found it hard to keep their meeting secret, and they decided to flee to a town in Holland called Leiden. And there's actually a street in Plymouth. It's the main thoroughfare there that's called Leiden Street, and it's named for the town in Holland that they came from. Here they could practice their brand of religion, but the conditions in which they lived were not pleasant. They were working as laborers for low wages, and their children were forced to work as well. They decided that a move to the New World would be a better alternative, so they found financing from some rich British financiers, and they booked passage on a cargo ship named the Mayflower in 1620. And we actually visited the Mayflower 2, which is a reproduction of the Mayflower. What were your impressions? Oh my gosh, the conditions would have been absolutely horrid, but what I didn't realize is that they the pilgrims were technically cargo they just rented a ship and they were the cargo to bring them over it wasn't like a passenger ship or a ship that was actually meant for people of that number it was meant for the crew and so that was just um, an eye-opener for me but then seeing where they were living you know you see the pictures and stuff it was like holy cow and they had to spend and they couldn't come up on deck at all hardly for for an entire 66 days they were down in this dark just like cargo hold basically almost and as if that isn't bad enough that you've spent 66 days at sea denise what happens after they get here i mean were they able to just get off the boat no that was the other thing it wasn't like they got off because of course you know if you think about it they had to build shelters and everything so at least the captain of the ship was very nice he didn't get here and say okay there you go and dump them on the beach and say have fun he stayed with them and let them live on the ship for like four or five months while they were were building shelters and walls and things like that. So he did stay and allow them to use the boat as their their dwelling while they were first getting started. Yeah, so you better really like your neighbors. I have to say that. One of the other things I didn't realize is that Diane's probably going to talk about it, but they lost half of their people to death, but only one person on the actual voyage over, the other ones were lost the first winter because they actually got here like in November, December is when the pilgrims arrived. Yeah, 102 people boarded the Mayflower as pilgrims. There was about, what was it, Denise, 25 crew members? 27 crew members that were also on board with them. As Denise said, one of the pilgrims did die along the way. And the reason why, do you remember why he died, Denise? Because he was he was the one who was supposed to make sure people didn't get scurvy by making sure they had lemon and limes while they were making the crossing but he didn't like the taste so he didn't take it himself and he got scurvy and died yeah not real brilliant there (laughs) there's a reason why you're giving everybody the citrus fruit maybe you should partake even if you don't i mean i wouldn't want to suck on a lemon every day either but if you don't want to die that's what you had to do back then scurvy killed a lot of people especially on ships but they did make up their number because also while they were on board a baby was born do you remember what his name was denise oceanus such a great name (laughs) The guys were making fun of it, but I'm like, that's kind of a cool name. I would like to be named Oceanus because I love the ocean and the sea. So they made up their number that they lost there. Yeah, I should say hippie. Hippie. Speaking of which, uh, two of the ladies that joined us on the meetup in Boston decided that they wanted to buy us a gift. And so they got a little teddy bear that had a little Boston t-shirt on. 
and he was tie-dye, so I thought it was perfect. If you're part of the Spooktacular crew, you saw the pictures. And not only tie-dye, on his Boston shirt was a peace sign. Oh, yes. How could I forget? Then, as Denise uh, mentioned... 51 of these people did pass away in just their first winter. What happened is a lot of people think that they landed in Plymouth and got off there. No, actually, they landed at the tip of Cape Cod, which is where we're heading today, Provincetown. So that was the first place that they actually hit, but they didn't get off the boat. They explored for a little bit because they were trying to figure out where to go. There were different charters and patents that you would have to buy in order to settle in different areas here because different countries had different areas and the Hudson Bay was kind of where they were hoping to go to, but they couldn't get a charter for there. So they moved more inland and there's a lot of theories about why they did that. Some believe that the boat just got pushed in that way due to weather. Others think that they went there of their own accord. Some believe that the captain just sailed in that way because he wanted to. Well, the the guy we were talking to yesterday on the Mayflower, too, he said that it was going to be too too rough of conditions, so they came further back into the harbor for some shelter, and that's why they ended up at Plymouth. So they get to Plymouth, and on our tour yesterday, we got to see Plymouth Rock. And for those of you who've not seen Plymouth Rock, and you've maybe seen paintings of this event... You might think, wow, this is going to be a huge, not even boulder, but huge, 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 huge rock. Basically an outcropping or something that they would step out on. Denise, were you impressed by the size of Plymouth Rock? Well, I had already heard that it was not quite as large as one might expect. So I was expecting it to be smaller, but I, I still thought it was really cool. Yes, I would say that this rock... and understand that it has been chipped away at we've got wearing down of erosion from the weather it's been hundreds of years but i would say denise it was probably four feet by three feet maybe um yeah quite small in fact our tour guide said that when you look at the rock you're thinking they came off of the boat in single file so they could all step on it (laughs) (laughs) yeah like they got off that boat single file if that's what everybody stepped off onto but needless to say it may not even be the exact rock or area that they stepped off on but it's the significance of what it is the symbol of and so that was very cool to get to see that and just to realize what's really cool for denise and i coming here is that most of you've heard we've done i believe two podcasts that featured places in saint augustine florida which is the first city in america so we've been to that city many times i think we've done three ghost tours there and then now we've been to plymouth this is really the history the start of what has become america We've been to the first city there, and then we've been to basically the first colony that was started. So just very cool for us to have experienced that. And uh, Plymouth walking tours, I highly, highly recommend them for the history of Plymouth. If you're ever there, go and take the tours. It was really, really good. And it's a husband and wife team that run it, and they actually live in the grist mill where the tour launches from, the Jenny Mill. And it was so neat. They have this natural spring that's back there, and they said the herring come through there in the summer and it's just or in the spring I guess when they're getting ready to spawn just very cool and we learned something when we were on that tour that I hadn't realized it's important to note that Plymouth Plantation was not built upon land that was taken from the Native Americans a lot of us think that they just came in and ran over the Native Americans and started taking their land not the pilgrims these were people that were very different than the Puritans you make sure in your mind that you separate those two people We have a few beliefs when it comes to the Puritans. When you think of the pilgrims, these are people who didn't necessarily believe you had to go to church. 
that you had to follow these rigid customs. These were people who wanted freedom in their religion. They basically were spiritual people is the way I look at it. When you look at the Puritans, these were the hardcore. If you've ever read, we're in Nathaniel Hawthorne's backyard here when we're in Boston and such. If you think about it, when he wrote the Scarlet Letter, those were the Puritans. The Salem Witch Trials, those were the Puritans. These were the people who had their customs, their rigid rules, their really bizarre religious beliefs as far as we're concerned. They were the Pharisees, basically, of the Bible of their time. So don't mix up the pilgrims with them. And one of the reasons why the pilgrims didn't take any land from the Native Americans is because they didn't have to. Remember that plague that we were talking about that the Wapanaw got that almost completely killed their entire tribe? Well, they left that land believing that it was cursed. Native Americans have their own legend and lore, so they thought there was something wrong with the land that their people got so sick. They didn't equate it to the fact that these Europeans had basically come over and given them things. So they didn't want the land. And the pilgrims said, we're happy to take it because the Wampanoag had been there for many years. So they'd left behind some of their cornfields. They'd left behind a lot of their settlement. So it was already an area that was ready for the pilgrims to be there. Not to mention that there was a ton of fuel around all those trees and old growth forests. This was a perfect place for them. Well, and the thing that we really learned, too, is the pilgrims literally lived side by side with the Wampanoag tribe when they came. The only thing that separated them was the river, which wasn't really a river. It's more like a a creek going through there. But they could wade across to the other side. So they literally lived side by side with with the Wampanoag tribe when they came. And also the Ponoquet tribe, which we're going to talk about here in a bit. So when the pilgrims first get to Plymouth... They notice that there's these mounds on the beach where hands look like they've patted them down. So they dig down to see what's going on there. And they come to find that the Pocaniquets have buried corn there. Not only corn that you can eat, but also their seed corn so that it could be planted. So they did take advantage of that. They did grab what was there because they would have starved without that. But the really cool thing is the pilgrims the following year when they got their crop to come in, they made sure that they paid back everything to the Pocaniquets. They had a very good relationship with these people, and proof of that is the first Thanksgiving. So when you hear the story of the first Thanksgiving, it's the Pocaniquet tribe that they had this with. You'll hear about Squanto, and Squanto was there. He was a part of the Wampanoag tribe. What happened to him is, and many people may not know this, Squanto was kidnapped by John Smith. And a lot of you probably know John Smith, the story of Pocahontas. When he came over, he kidnapped Squanto and took him back to Europe with him. This is why Squanto knew how to speak English. When he came back, he came to find that almost his entire tribe was gone. Can you imagine how devastating that would be, Denise? That would just be horrible. So when Squanto gets back, he's devastated because his entire tribe's gone. But he decides that he's going to go ahead and become friends with the pilgrims. He does live with them in Plymouth Plantation. And he becomes a go-between between them and the Pocaniquet tribe and interprets for them. The chief of the Pocaniquets is Chief Massasoit. And he had been invited by the pilgrims to come to a feast along with his immediate family. Denise, what was his interpretation of immediate family? Everybody, cousins, you know, the whole tribe basically he brought with him. So he didn't quite get that whole immediate family part of the invitation. There was 99 braves that came with him. Now you can imagine the pilgrims have just gotten their first harvest, which was not great because obviously they've lost half of their numbers. (laughs) So they're going, oh my God, everything that we have stored up that we're going to have to keep for winter to get us through, 
we're going to be feeding it all to these people. The good part is, what did they bring with them when the natives came, Denise? Oh, they brought all kinds of meat. They bought venison. They bought, like, the turkey, the fowls, di- different or different things that they'd hunted and had. So they brought a lot of meat with them when they came. So there was so much the pilgrims were able to easily make it through that first winter, and they actually did very well after that. Now, Plymouth Colony was originally a commune-like settlement until Governor Bradford came on board, and he looked around... And what did he notice, Denise? Oh, that um, with this, that some people were working and some people weren't. This is the problem with socialism. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but just understand that human nature is, hey, if I don't have to work and I get just as well rewarded as the next guy, why should I work hard? And proof positive is in Plymouth Colony because that is why almost half their people died because there were a few people that thought, I don't have to work the land. I don't have to work as hard as that guy. Plus, the guy who's working really hard is going, why is he getting as much as I do? I'm not going to work that hard. So it really came down to these people needed to be incentivized. So that's what Governor Bradford did. He said, no more communes. We're going to split up the land. And you're going to get land according to how many children you have. So how much space you're going to need. And you're going to have to farm your own land. And if you don't farm it and you don't grow anything, you don't eat. Now, granted, I'm sure they didn't let any of their people actually starve to death, but it worked, and it worked really well, and it was the start of the free market, which is basically what America is today. Also, the start of what we know as government here in America started with the pilgrims as well. This is long before we had our American Revolution. These people, remember, already didn't want to be under tyranny. These people were already for an American Revolution before we even had a twinkling of it in our eyes. So what they did is they voted for their governors and also for their pastors. So if they didn't like you, you weren't going to have that job anymore. They really liked Governor Bradford, and he kept his job for 35 years. He was an excellent leader. He's the one who wrote the history of Plymouth so that we know what happened there. Just a wonderful, great man. They also decided at that time that they had to have some kind of a government set up. And many of you have probably heard of the Mayflower Compact. And that is where they signed an agreement that they would all do the work that they were going to do individually. And all work towards a joint government together. And just have it basically, it was the first form of a republic. It was a very good time for Plymouth Colony at this time. But it's going to begin to deteriorate. And the reason why is when you move in more of a population, that's what happens. And so we had more and more people who were coming over. Within a short amount of time, at least 20,000 people had come across and were starting to move into the area. And because of this, there was a lot of encroachment onto the Native Americans' lands there. And the disputes that resulted from that all culminated in the King Philip's War in 1675. Well, and the other thing we had going on is that you had the, the, the bond between the, the original leaders of both, the tribe and, and the pilgrims. They had a very strong bond, and they had the longest-running peace treaty between them ever. But as more people moved in and they got older, it was the, the descendants, the sons of both of those men that were the ones that went to war. Yeah, I'm going to detail that in just a minute. The King Philip's War was the last effort by several native tribes to try to drive out European settlers, and it was led by the chief of the Pocaniquets. Uh, It lasted for a little over a year. Thousands died during this war and only ended when King Philip was killed by a colonist. His body was dismembered, and his head was staked at the head of the town for 25 years to warn other Native Americans to leave the colonists alone. So I'm I imagine that was a beautiful thing to the town square and see this head that would have been 
stake there for 25 years, Denise. Now, as Denise said, a sad postscript to this chapter in our history is what happened between King Philip and another colonist. King Philip was the son of Chief Massamoet. This was the original chief who met up with the pilgrims. Chief Massamoet had come down with the plague and he was going to die. A pilgrim named Edward Winslow made up an herbal medicine and he nursed the chief back to health. They became lifelong friends and secured the bond between the pilgrims and the Pecaniquettes. Winslow's descendants engaged in the war with King Philip so that the bond formed by Chief Massamoet and Winslow was broken by war and death. Well, and the really neat thing when Winslow went to um, nurse the king, somebody, or I'm sorry, the chief, somebody had met him halfway and said, don't bother, he's already dead. And he still made the journey anyway and found him very, very close to death, but he wasn't all the way dead. So if he would have given up and just said, oh, he's gone and gone back, he would have never been able to nurse him to health. I thought that was kind of cool that he kept going. That's basically the heart of the history of Plymouth. Of course, other things have happened through time. It's become a shipping and fishing port. Its main form of the economy now is obviously tourism. Well, and the other thing we found out is whatever your trade was before you came here was not your trade when you got here. Everybody was a farmer. So it didn't matter what you had done back in back home, back in England. When you got to Plymouth, everybody had to be a farmer for the mere survival of the colony. Indeed, there were people who were musicians and uh, knew how to make clothes, woodworkers, furniture makers. None of them used any of that trade here. Any furniture they had, they brought over with them. The clothes they brought over with them. So you made a decision to come here. Not only were you going to be roughing it big time, you were going to have to be a farmer rather than anything else. So... Denise, that means we got to get into the hauntings. And we did an excellent walking tour. We got to go into, they said it was the oldest cemetery in America, but because we've been to St. Augustine, I would debate that because there are some very old cemeteries there as well. So I would say we went into one of the oldest cemeteries in America, and that was Burial Hill. And we went through there, the two of us together during the day. Just an extraordinary place. Lots of neat markings on the tombstones. Lots of very old tombstones. I believe the oldest one was at 1620. We did the Dead of Night ghost tours of Plymouth. It was really good. There was a little bit of dramatics here and there with some of the storytelling, which was okay. So we enjoyed it, though. So we wanted to share with you some of the haunting stuff we learned. Some of it was more current. There was one of the older houses that we went by has been made into apartments. And it was in the 1990s that a man was at the house. And we had one of those disputes between a husband and wife. And unfortunately, the wife ends up dead. So what he decided to do was to put her in the wall. Good place to hide a body, right? So he does that. He takes all the money out of their bank account and decides he's going to go have some fun. He goes to Atlantic City. And the cops are looking at the credit card purchases and noticing that there's a lot of activity going on and that they haven't been around a lot. And they've even gotten some wellness checks from some neighbors and friends. So the cops decide to go by the apartment just to make sure that everything's okay. Well, they get to the apartment. Nobody's home. So I don't know how they get inside, but they get inside and they notice, oh my gosh, this place reeks. They check the entire apartment. It's spotless. It's immaculate. They can't find anything that's, you know, rotting food or something of that nature. And of course, they don't see a dead body anywhere. So they don't know what's going on. So they decide to bring out the cadaver dogs. So they get the cadaver dogs to come in. And obviously, they go to the wall. They find the body inside the wall. And to this day, that apartment is supposedly 
haunted. There is uh, banging around, there's walking, footsteps, disembodied footsteps. If you look in the windows, occasionally you will see an apparition looking out. We did take several pictures of the windows, no luck. And as usually happens when Denise and I go on ghost tours, what do we usually have happen, Denise? Nothing. (laughs) But stay tuned. For those of you that are members of the Spooktacular crew or are on Facebook and you've looked at the History Ghostbump fan page, you know we actually had something happen on this ghost tour for a change. So we'll share that with you in just a moment. So we walk by this place as we're going up to what is probably one of the oldest churches in America. This was not the original church that was there. The original, as we tell you in so many other podcasts, burned to the ground from fire. But this is a very old church. The bell that's in the bell tower denise who made that paul revere and it's the original bell so even though the church did burn down the original bell is still up in the tower and the interesting thing just on a little government uh note is that here in america we have a separation of church and state and it all kind of started with this church because the bell tower had to be rung by somebody who was a part of the local government or business and the church of course was run by the pastor neither one of those people were allowed to have keys to each other's places so the pastor couldn't get into the bell tower and the politician or business owner couldn't get into the church so we had separation of church and state right there with that church and so that was a neat little thing that we learned yesterday right behind this church is burial hill cemetery in this cemetery they get a ton of activity all kinds in the middle of the cemetery they have a tree that's called the hanging tree and this is where they would hang people because originally in bear on burial hill was the original fort that was meant to protect plymouth and they had cannons there that could shoot up to a mile and a half into the into the bay there so around this tree they do see apparitions the tour that we were on she showed us a couple pictures they'd gotten and in one of those pictures what was there denise our lady in white (laughs) yes indeed there was a lady in white in this picture it was looked like a ghostly image it it could have been actually going back to the church they had a picture that a child an eight-year-old had taken in front of the in front of the church and there was a caretaker who had taken care of the church he was about 83 when he passed away and they think he was in this picture it was one of the most convincing pictures i have ever seen It was a ghostly-looking apparition, full-bodied, and kind of a glowing white. Don't know how it could have been doctored that way, of course. Since we didn't take the picture, it could have been, but it was pretty convincing. Absolutely, and that was the thing that she would always, you know, after people took pictures, she would ask, did anybody get anything? Because if you did, she wanted it um, emailed straight to her. So more like right then and there rather than having you go home and then email it. And I think it was to keep that possibility of sending doctored pictures in. Exactly. And she would debunk them right away when she was looking at them. And she debunked everything that, you know, we had some young people who every picture they took. Oh, look. Oh, look. And, you know, that kind of thing. Or there was an orb or something that you could debunk. There's lots of bugs. They have, I guess, our version of June bugs. They were much smaller because I saw one last night. They're not as big as they grow them in Florida. They call them Japanese beetles up here. And uh, there's a lot of those flowers around so if you get a picture of those you're going to get some kind of orb activity or streaking going on so she debunked a lot of that but I liked that she was like if she looked at the picture she wanted you to text it to her right then because she wanted to make sure there was no possibility for any kind of doctoring so I trusted their pictures a little bit more again with a grain of salt so that was very cool but they had a picture of this lady in white it was in front of this gravestone and they'd never seen this apparition before when they'd gotten it on this ghost tour. So she decided to do some investigation. She looked at the gravestone that 
the figure it appeared in front of and they came to find it was a lady who was getting ready for her wedding and when she went to step up into the carriage her foot slipped and I think the hot wax was that the one with the hot wax that made the horses go and but anyway the horses took off and her foot was caught so she was dragged behind the horses down the cobblestone street so of course cobblestone she just got beat to death and so that's why she's a lady in white because she's wearing her wedding dress there was a ship And it went down in Cape Cod. Did it go down in the bay? There was a ship that was called the General Arnold. And the men of Plymouth had been aboard this. And for some reason, it got shipwrecked. And the men went into the sea. Here we are up north. So you can imagine what happens if you go into the sea. These men froze to death. Well, they managed to fish their bodies out of the water. And they decided to put them into a mass grave together because there were so many of them. So we went to their memorial that they've built for these men. Do you remember, Denise, how many were in there? Yeah, we're, we're not sure how many were buried there. There was quite a few. And, of course, this area is part of the area that's one of the most haunted as well. People see some full-bodied sailors, orbs, that kind of thing. And also, we didn't see any um, last night, but the tour guide said that a lot of times shadow figures will follow them in that graveyard too. Especially in that area, that tends to be one of the most active areas of the graveyard. And one of those figures, Denise, that she had mentioned that I was like, I hope to God we don't see that, was a figure that wears a black cloak. (laughs) I was like, no, thank you. We didn't have anything happen while we were in the cemetery at all. So you'll only play a figure in a black cloak and scare the bejesus out of the children that come to our house on Halloween, but you don't want to see one? It's okay if I'm the figure in the black cloak. No problem with that. But if there is one else around, no, 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 no. You want to be the subject of nightmares, not somebody else. Exactly. I've got to be doing the scaring. Also on this tour, one of the really neat things, we got to see it with both our morning tour that was the historical one and with this one, is when the pilgrims died, as we mentioned, half of their numbers died. So they put them all in the same burial area. Problem is, it was kind of down low and when you have a lot of high tide coming in and such and erosion was happening those bones were starting to come up so they decided I don't remember this was probably 200 years later they decided okay we've got to bury these people somewhere else so what they did is they put them in a sarcophagus all together so they took all the bones wrapped them up and they put them in this sarcophagus believe there's 51 of them in there they have the names on the outside and it's up on the hill that overlooks Plymouth Rock so it's very cool it's like they're overlooking where they came in well this is the scene of a Native American girl a little one and she showed us several pictures that they've taken on ghost tours again these are some pretty convincing pictures of what looks like a full-body little girl and on one of the stories do you remember Denise with the father who was there with his daughter taking a picture in front of the sarcophagus what happened so there's this father he's standing in front of it with his daughter and she's a little bit away from him so that you can kind of see between them and he's got his arm up and he's like will you stop elbowing me and she's like I'm not elbowing you dad well when they get the picture developed she's just standing there like she's supposed to be you can see that he kind of has his arm up like what is poking me and there is the little native american girl between the two of them and it looks like she's kind of jabbing him in the ribs so she needed more room between them as denise just said (laughs) exactly so for what it's worth you might see that there at that sarcophagus right near this sarcophagus was another building it was originally a hotel back in the day we had some kids on the tour at the very beginning she did break us up into two groups thankfully later and so i'm not sure if she was trying to keep it as kind of a rated gpg so she said hotel could have been brothel 
but it was right there where the ships come into port. We all know how hotels near a port with a lot of ladies staying there usually that indicates there's something else going on other than just sleeping. So anyway, there were two girls there though that were sisters and apparently they both fancied the same gentleman or maybe he wasn't quite the gentleman. I don't know if he was playing both girls, but one of the girls, he gave a, a brooch and when the other sister came into the room and saw that brooch she knew who had given it to her and she was enraged she was so jealous she ripped the brooch off of her and they began to fight and the sister picked up a candlestick anybody who's played the game clue knows sometimes a weapon of choice is the candlestick and so the one sister did end up beating the other sister to death with the candlestick there's a commotion obviously going on so the man that they're fighting over runs up the stairs to see what's going on He comes through the door. He sees the brooch on the floor. He sees the woman that he's in love with on the floor, dead. And he sees her sister standing above her with the candlestick. He knows what's happened here. He becomes enraged and he strangles her. So now we have two sisters lying next to each other, dead on the floor. So one night they're doing their ghost tour and they walk past this building and a woman on the ghost tour says, that building's haunted. And the ghost, the tour guide says, well, how do you know it's haunted? And she says, because I live there. And she said, oh, tell me more. So she tells her more. One night she comes home and she's taking off her clothes, getting ready to go to bed. She has laid down a shirt on the dresser. She goes to lift the shirt off the dresser and underneath it is the brooch, an antique brooch. She's never seen this brooch in her life. She has no idea how it's gotten there. She goes around and asks other people in the building, is this yours? She has no idea how it gets there. She goes and checks all the windows and the doors because obviously you're going to start panicking thinking somebody's been in your home. Everything's locked up tight. And then the noises start and the banging and the disembodied footsteps. Then one night she's laying in bed. She's watching TV like most of us do. And she hears female voices and they're coming from the front of the house. So she's like, huh, what in the world is going on? So she decides to go investigate. Is it some neighbors getting rather rowdy? She goes out in the front room. The arguing immediately stops. And there's nobody there, of course. She's home alone. So she's a little bit uh, weirded out. Goes back into her bedroom, turns off the TV, lays down. Hears the voices again. She goes back out into the front room nothing and they stop when she gets out there a lot of this activity is continued on so they believe this is the two sisters arguing with each other could it be residual are they actually there who knows then we came to a building that was called the spooner house museum this place is haunted as well what happened here is there was an eight-year-old girl and she got an abscess in a tooth and this was over a hundred years ago the dentist lives across the street but apparently he wasn't of much use because the abscess killed the little girl and she is who they think haunts this museum a few years ago they decided they needed to do some refurbishing both on the outside and the inside they decided to start with the inside so there were these contractors who came in and were going to do some work They get there, the door is locked, nobody's there, and they're a little bit put out because they need to get started on their work. So they both turn around, they're getting ready to head back to the car, not happy. The front door opens, and there's a little girl standing there. And they think, awesome, we're going to be able to get in. This is great. I don't know why she didn't answer the door before when we were knocking, but hey. So I said, hey, can we come in? She doesn't say anything to him. She just turns and walks towards the back of the house. So we're like, okay, 
whatever. They grab their stuff. They come in. They start working. They've been working for a couple hours when their boss comes in and says, uh, hey, you guys are doing some great work here, but how did you get in? And they said, well, the little girl let us in. She opened up the door. And their boss is looking at him and says, what do you mean little girl? And they said, there's a little girl here. He said, well, there's not supposed to be anybody here. They get, go downstairs. They look everywhere for this little girl. Don't see her anywhere. They get a little bit weirded out. Then they hear about the fact that this is a ghost of a little girl. And that she's been seen a lot. Those contractors grabbed their tools and they took off and never came back. So it took them a little while to get the work done because then they had to find some other people who would complete it. They decided, let's do the outside first. Then we'll start working on the inside again. And they did finally get the refurbishment done. But there there you had it. And now... For the final part of our hauntings, we'll tell you about what happened to us. Now, part of this tour was that we got to go into two different homes. One of them was the home of Charles Taylor, and the other was Captain Nathaniel, and I cannot remember his last name. I think it was Troxler, but I'm not for sure. But we definitely know his first name is Nathaniel, and that he was a captain. We went into Charles Taylor's home second, and I'll tell you about that because nothing happened in there. This place is supposed to be rocking and rolling. This is where the tour has their little curiosity shop and there's a music store right next to it. There is a bedroom upstairs where you can stay overnight. There's a chair there that is his chair. and uh, But you can stay overnight in this house and they have cameras that are set up and all that stuff. So they expect this house to just be rock and roll and usually it is. They get pictures, all kinds of stuff. Nothing happened for us in there. It was neat to look at a lot of the old stuff that was there and the pictures. Before we went into there, we went into the captain's house, and this place was the one that was where we had our experience. So we go in, it's totally dark, we're just standing downstairs, and she's telling us a little bit about the history there, and the captain, and then we go in, she turns on the lights, and we kind of look around, she talks about how occasionally he messes with the old grandfather clock that's there. There was a little carriage in the corner that she says sometimes will move, other things of that nature. Nothing's happening in there. We go into the next room and there's a chandelier above it and she tells us that the chandelier used to be in the other room and that they moved it in here because one night they were having a meeting in there. Something started tinkling. It had these little crystal things that hung down from it and something had moved them. So they were all kind of clanking together and as if that wasn't bad enough, the screws start coming out of the ceiling and here comes the chandelier slamming down on the table. They decided no more meetings in that room and they actually moved the chandelier out into this other room. Atop the wall there, on the the one wall there was the picture of the captain and then all around his picture were these elaborate masks which were very creepy some of them and do you remember why they had the masks there? To scare the spirits away. These were his wife had this idea that if you had these masks in your home it would ward off evil spirits. So there were lots of these masks around for that reason. Then we go into the room that the chandelier had come down. Nothing. We go upstairs and we go into the rooms that are up there and nothing's happening. And in the one room, this is another room where you could stay overnight. It was originally the birthing room. And this room was mainly for people who were staying at the Charles Taylor house. If that was too much for them, they could come over to this house and then they could stay in that room, which had originally been the birthing room. Well, we're standing in this room and the tour guide is telling us different stories of experiences that they've had over in the Charles Taylor house and in this house. And she's telling us about a story at the house that we're in. And apparently this guy likes women's hair. And so one of the tour guides had long hair or her friend had long hair. I think it was in a ponytail. And she's telling the story about how all of a sudden the ponytail starts getting pulled upward and they can all see it moving up. 
So they're getting freaked out. And so she tells her friend, you know, the best way to handle this is we're just going to go to bed. We're going to ignore him and they'll go away. Well, apparently Nathaniel does not like to be ignored. Because what happened is I was filming on my camera. I was taping the whole tour that we were doing inside the house. Well, we get up there and we're about six minutes in. My arm is tired of holding my phone up. So I'd moved my phone down to my side and I'm just hanging my arm there kind of in a normal posture. And I was trying to kind of aim it upward towards the tour guide. Well, for some reason, and I don't know why, my hand must have started to twist out because I wasn't getting the tour guide. I was getting this lamp that was on the table that was right next to me. Well, while she's saying that Nathaniel, they were going to ignore him, the light turned on and I caught it on camera. And we have that video up on the Spooktacular Crew and the History Goes Bump fan page. You can hear on the tape, all of us start going. The first thing I asked is because I clean houses for a living. I know that sometimes if a light bulb is loose and you're cleaning, sometimes it'll click on, you know, it'll kind of, but usually they do that flickering thing where it kind of flickers on, flickers off, flickers on. So I asked, is that one of these lights that, you know, sometimes flickers on and off? And she's like, no. And at first she just kind of ignored it. She wasn't really acknowledging it while the rest of us were looking around going, how did that light come on? And so she goes over and she has to literally turn it to click it off. And then she tells Nathaniel, yes, Nathaniel, we know you're here. Please leave us alone. And then she goes back to finishing her story. Well, while she's starting to do her story, Denise and I are like, well, we're going to debunk this thing because nothing has ever happened before. So this would be a first. So we're like, Denise goes, is there somebody like pushing on a light switch over there or something? Because we had a couple people in the doorway. <clears throat> and the young man, you could just see the look on his face. He was in total shock because he was standing right in front of the light. And he looks over and he's like, no, there's no light switch here. I had a light switch next to me. So I flicked it up and down just to make sure. And I, I knew I hadn't pushed against it, but I just wanted to verify. And that did not control that light because it didn't come on when I was flipping the switch. I don't know what it went to. So we don't know. <laughs> But that light came on. We caught it on video. And while we did have the toddler when we went to Ripley's Auditorium, do the coughing and everything, and that seemed to us like an experience, this one to us was no doubt. This was some kind of an experience we can't explain. Well, and the other thing is the entire night, the tour, tour guides were trying to get something to happen. And the fact that that this wasn't like... I don't know, it didn't seem staged because there were so many times there was things staged throughout the entire tour where people were sitting in the captain's chair, going up where the where other things had happened, putting people like putting bait out there basically for the spirits. And so they were trying to find. So if this had been a staged thing, I think it would have been in one of the places where they were trying to stage it. Indeed, Denise, because that's one of the stories that I forgot about Burial Hill Cemetery. There's a young lady there who's watching for her man to come home. And she had died of a broken heart, waiting for him to come back. He died at sea. And so sometimes they can get her to come if they have guys that go up on the stairs at the cemetery. And so we had three guys in our group that went up there. And she likes guys with beards in particular. So we had a couple with beards that we put up there. So we were trying all night to have something happen, to try to get pictures. So there was nothing that we were getting when we were trying. This was just nonchalant standing around while she's telling a story and bam. So to us, it seemed pretty legitimate. Plus, they had broken us down. At this point, we had been broken down into the fourth group that we were in. They were trying to get them as small as they could for us to go in the house. And this woman was just kind of a, she seemed like a helper. I think she works at the store occasionally. So she wasn't even necessarily a legitimate tour guide with them. It was just somebody who is a friend who helps out. And so 
to us, it didn't seem like something that they had like staged to have happen. And she seemed just as surprised. And she does say on the tape later on, that's never happened with that light before. And Denise, she just whispered to me, we need to talk about tempting the spirits. You guys know how we feel about Ouija boards. Do you want to tell a little bit about what happened in the, I think this was in Charles Taylor's house. So we go over to the house and um, they're telling the stories. They're saying this is going to be rocking and rolling. We see nothing. Diane actually tempted the spirits by sitting in his chair. But so we're just going through. Well, we get into the one room and, and they still like to share other stories that happen if nothing happens. So she was talking about that they'd had this orb that was bouncing back and forth in the one room and then it stopped. And then when they went in, it was doing it again, but then it, it went past them. And when it went past them, it there was like this growl that was coming from it. And so it was not a very nice experience or a nice feeling or energy. So they fled from the house. Even the, the ghost hunter people fled. They all left the house. We'll come to find out just prior to that, there'd been some... Um, people, well, she told us that story first. Then they were, she was talking about some people that had come and were really, they had a Ouija board and were tempting the spirits and yelling at them and taunting them. And so I asked her, I said, wait, did that happen before or after you had the, the malevolent spirit in here? And she goes, oh, that was before. So people took a Ouija board, they taunted the spirits, and then there was something bad, like they opened a portal. So again, I say, never tempt the spirit. And wasn't there a well in that house too that they'd filled in that they thought might be an opening because they were getting a lot of weird stuff down there and so they decided to fill in the well. So with the rich history and the old old times of Plymouth, could this be just stories, residual energy, some things that are just an active imagination or is Plymouth haunted? That is for you to decide. We want to thank you guys for joining us. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. <laughs>